Welcome to Keeping It Israel, brought to you by First Century Foundations. This weekly podcast explores how your Christian faith connects to Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's your host, Executive Director of First Century Foundations, Jeff Feuders. Well, welcome to the podcast today. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. And today our guest is Mike Fiegelman. He's the Executive Director of Honest Reporting Canada. Honest Reporting is an independent grassroots organization promoting fairness and accuracy in Canadian media coverage of Israel and the Middle East. Welcome to the show, Mike. My pleasure. Jeff, thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on here. And this is something that I just think is uh, so needed in uh, the the media space today, especially. And we want to find out a little bit more about you, a little bit more about uh, Honest Reporting and what it's all about. When was it founded and and why? Sure. Uh, Honest Reporting Canada started in 2003. Uh, this is, you know, bookended between the first and second intifada when the media coverage of Israel was deplorable. Israel was maligned in the headlines on broadcast, in on the internet, uh, depicted in the most unfair, inaccurate, unbalanced manner. And there were some people in the UK who were very frustrated, who, quite frankly, just took out their computer and were writing letters frantically at the media saying, "This is, you're just not giving Israel a fair shake. This is biased. There is no objectivity in your coverage. We want change. Uh, we want professional standards of journalism to be adhered to. And it started off like that, a grassroots effort, not a professional organization, people who are concerned, who didn't want to pass the buck, who wanted to take ownership to do what they could for Israel. And it then blossomed into an actual professional organization that grew from just a couple hundred members to we have about 50,000 subscribers from coast to coast throughout Canada. And there are eyes and ears. They're the people who identify media bias and then work to confront it and to counter it. How we do that is many and varied. Uh, we engage with the media, we file complaints, we deal with professional uh, journalism associations, ombudsmans. Um, when when necessary, we will resort to having a, a grassroots response where people complain en masse. Other times it's just through dialogue. But fundamentally, you know, we're not blanket apologists for Israel. Israel will make mistakes, but we want the media to do, uh, you know, a professional, reasonable job in covering these issues because we know more than anything that what's reported today can become foreign policy tomorrow. And what fundamentally what's at stake is Israel's safety and the Jewish people's safety in, in, in the nation of Israel. Yeah, that's right. Now, Mike, tell us a little bit about you. What's your background and, and how do you come to a, a role like this with Honest Reporting Canada? Yeah, my, my background is in journalism. Uh, it, it has always been my passion. I've been an editor and a reporter for various uh, media outlets throughout Canada. And um, actually, you know, at the start of my career, I didn't know a lot about Israel and I didn't know a lot about Judaism. I didn't know a lot about uh, um, Jewish ancestral claims to, uh, to, to the Holy land. Um, but I, you know, I, I found, I, I had a newfound passion to Israel and uh, I was able to merge my, my talents with journalism and my newfound passion with Israel. And uh, actually I, I came to honest reporting as originally as a, as a volunteer, I was walking in Jerusalem and I saw a sign in the garbage that said, help fight media bias against Israel, join Honest Reporting. And I contacted the local office, said I'd be happy to volunteer and was hired the next day as, as one of the founding directors. And it's been a wild ride. Um, we've come across some of the most egregious um, violations of journalistic standards. 
We've come across blood libels. We've come across real blatant Jew hatred. It is, I can tell you, it is incredibly toxic. This past May with the conflict with Hamas, the 11-day war, we saw a torrent of abuse against Israel, whether on the traditional legacy media or on, on the, in the realm of social media, where it was just um, really fanning the flames of hatred. Wow. Now, just clarify for me. You said you saw a sign in the garbage? I did. Not, did that, I, uh, not that I'm a garbage picker. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe there was serendipity, right? I mean, I just yeah. happened to have seen it. Uh, maybe there was a bit of divine intervention. Maybe that's how I'll re- refer to it. And uh, yeah, and I because I had never heard of honest reporting. Um, mm. And I contacted uh, the organization and found out that there were some prominent people in here in Toronto who were looking to start a Canadian chapter. So our remit is, is dealing with Canadian media, whether print broadcast, electronic, English, French language, academic, alternative campus media, anything and everything. We digest everything uh, that the new, the Canadian media produces 24-7. It takes a Herculean effort uh, to do it, and wow. we monitor the content. And I should say that 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 added layer of editorial oversight that we provide to the media is is greatly appreciated by our newsmakers in a world of cutbacks where where they don't have that editorial oversight. So, you know, mm-hmm. some might, some people might think that the relationship is antagonistic. It's actually uh, quite cooperative and complementary because they realize that we're helping them do their jobs. That's really good to hear. And you said the very next day you were hired. Is that right? That's right. That's my story. So let, let that be a message to any new volunteers. Um, you know, it, it, there there's a genesis to everything. There are birth pains to everything. And, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you love your job, you don't work a day in your life. And I've never felt I've had a job, but I love what I do with a fiery passion. And I, I know what's at stake. Um, so I take it very seriously. Now, from your long experience in this field, would you say that the Canadian media are are generally balanced in the way that they represent the Israel-Palestinian conflict? No, I wouldn't say they're balanced. And and that is our challenge. Balance, listen, hmm. it's not, um, although you may strive for balance and it's not a simple one for one. Um, the, the biggest challenge with the Canadian media is is not necessarily what is covered. It's It's more what isn't covered. Um, when we talk about the broader Middle East, what ends up happening is there's a magnifying glass put on Israel. Anything Israel does right or wrong is is framed in, in this negative light. Um, there is the highest concentration of journalists in Israel and Jerusalem versus the broader Middle East. And why is that? I think you can always imagine to report in Syria, to report in Iran, you might be thrown in the Edmund prison uh, to, to report in Afghanistan. It's absolutely terrifying with the Taliban taking hold. And what, what ends up happening is, you know, Foreign correspondents, Western journalists are able to, to cover the, the post of the broader Middle East from Jerusalem, from the comfort of uh, the David Citadel Hotel, and um, without fear of, of uh, reprisal or censorship or any of that effect. And uh, and they're able to do that. But you don't hear about you know the gender apartheid that exists in the broader Middle East. You don't hear about the lack of fundamental freedoms uh, that, that regular, everyday Muslim and Arab citizens cry for. And, and it, it really does a, an injustice to these people who, you know, it stymies their, their quest towards self-determination because we're not hearing a full uh, representation of what's happening in the broader Middle East. Other things, you know, the, the safety issue is it's very real. If you go to the Gaza Strip, you're going to have Hamas goons who are going to follow you, who are going to tell you, or, or Hezbollah in Lebanon, who are going to tell you, 
you can cover this, you cannot cover this. So there is a, a very serious and cynical uh, manipulation of journalists uh, to the point where there, there's a, there, there isn't a free society, it's a fear society. And, um, and that, that really only bolsters autocratic dictatorships and terrorist entities. Mm. So there is a balance. Yeah. Um, it, it's a challenge. When I, uh, you know, sit and watch my newscast uh, when something is going on in Israel, you know, I know because I follow so many, um, so many sort of Israel media outlets and and email distribution lists. I know what's happening. There could be, you know, four hundred rockets sent into Gaza in a day, but the headline that day will be something like Israel, you know, bombs Hamas targets in in response to, uh, you know. Uh, rockets fired or, or something to this effect. Why is this is this disproportionate criticism of Israel such a such a thing? Well let's let's start with the issue of the rocket fire, right? Um, Israelis, whether you're in Starot or whether you're in Ashkelon, um, sort of the coastal cities, um, the, the ones that are within closest proximity to the Gaza Strip, they're enduring rocket roulette. They have been enduring that for decades. You know, you think about how Israel mm. pulled out, disengaged in 2005, removed 8,500 uh, settlers and removed all of its uh, settlements, 21 of them and its entire armed forces. And what did it get in return? It got uh, a forward operating base of terrorists who were launching, you know, deadly rockets at the Jewish state this past May mm-hmm. in an 11 day war, 4,000 rockets were fired. So, you know, one, one issue I, I have with journalists is, you know, I'll say, you know, how come we're not hearing about that this is a daily occurrence, that Israelis are under threat, that ter- that Palestinian terrorists are committing war crimes by firing on civilians while hiding behind civilians. And they'll tell me, well, like you said, what's 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 the what's news in that? And, and they use, you know, the word new within news because it's a daily occurrence. Um, and, and just mm-hmm. because it is such a regular thing and not an anomaly, that doesn't mean that there's no news value to it. So that that's a bit of uh, an issue that we have to sensitize our journalists that, you know, d- d- because terror is a daily occurrence, you can't ignore it. And you can't just frame it when Israel res- re- re- responds to it and, and retaliates. It's not like as if this incident happened only when Israel took um, uh, re- retaliatory measures. So um, it's a challenge in the, in the way the media frame it. It positions Israel as uh, as the aggressor and and not as acting in self-defense. And it's not a surprise uh, that the namesake of Israel's armed forces is Israel defense forces, not Israel offensive forces. Israel never initiates a conflict. It just tries to thwart and deter terrorism. But it's happening. It's happening across Israel's every border on a daily occurrence, whether it's different stabbing attacks, whether it's kamikaze suicide attacks where, where terrorists are taking uh, vehicles to try to, you know, uh, run over Israelis, whether it's, you know, uh, suicide bombings, sniper attacks, there is no, no end. We're seeing, um, more innovative tactics like, uh, arson balloons that are launched from the Gaza Strip in an attempt to, to, uh, incinerate bordering Israeli communities. Israel, you know, it has to do everything in its power. It has a requirement to safeguard its populace. But this is what's happening. And then th- those are on the more, um, I guess, tactical kind of threats. And then you go to the more strategic and existential threats when you think of, of Syria always having the potential to have biological and chemical warfare. 
um, the, the potential to deploy that at Israel. There was a, a rocket that was launched from Syria a couple of weeks ago. And then you think about the existential threat against Israel through Iran. Uh, it, it's it's never been a more perilous and dangerous time for Israel. Um, and we've seen recent IAEA reports uh, that say that, Israel, that Iran may have uh, enough uh, uranium uh, water enrichment to, to procure a bomb in, in the next month. Uh, this, this is, this is Israel's backyard. You know, it's, and I find that it's, it's rather cavalier of our news media who will opine and, uh, and dictate what Israel can and should do, um, from the comfort of their homes in Toronto and Brampton, uh, and elsewhere until you have skin in the game. And they just don't have that skin in the game. They just don't know the terrain. They don't know the players. It's that naivete that we deal with. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's difficult to understand, uh, you know, listening to you talk and, and knowing the truth about the situation in Israel, it's difficult to understand why it is that uh, the Human Rights Watch, for example, is so critical of Israel, accusing them of, of war crimes. Is this, is this balanced? Is there any truth to these kind of accusations? Not at all. And, and of course, Israel strenuously objects to those characteriz- characterizations. And, um, you know, fundamentally, the definition of anti-Semitism holds that when you hold Israel to a double standard uh, and, and criticize it, unlike any other nation in the world, then you're singling, singling Israel up for a program. And I cannot find Human Rights Watch criticizing other countries um, in the same caliber, in no. the same way as, as it does with Israel. And, and that's just Human Rights Watch. If you go to, uh, you know, a body like the United Nations and you look at uh, the General Assembly, which disproportionately singles out Israel while letting, you know, serial uh, human rights offending nations and pariah nations like North Korea, Syria, um, Venezuela uh, from carrying out atrocities. And you don't hear there there are no emergency sessions. There's no condemnation. It's just it's just the Jewish state, uh, you know, as if it's committing horrible atrocities. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, Just about I think it was two weeks ago, uh, the Americans had launched a drone strike, which killed 10, I believe, Afghani civilians, right? Um, you know, if can you imagine if, if that happened with Israel? You can imagine that this would be on the front page no. of the Mail. It would be, it'd be on CBC The National, it would be on CTV National News. The headlines would blare. But because it's Amer- the Americans and maybe there's a, I don't know, a, a different standard that the Americans are held to versus Israel, um, that there isn't that kind of outrage. And, um, you know, listen, if Israel makes mistakes, it should be criticized. I'm not saying that it shouldn't, but you have to hold it to the very same standard. Quite frankly, what we deal with is Israel's demonized. It's, it's held to the double standard and, and it's delegitimized. You know, what, what other nation has to uh, defend its own legitimacy that it can be a Jewish state when, when there's an avowed effort to push things like, like the quote unquote right of return, things that, that call for Palestinians to, uh, really assert a demographic ticking bomb to take over the Jewish state and, and change the Jewish character of the state, just rendering in another uh, Arab country. Uh, why can't there be a Jewish state? There's a Christian state. There's how many dozens of, of Muslim and Arab states? What's wrong with the one Jewish state? What's wrong with the state of Israel? Why is that so problematic? Yeah, yeah. That kind of brings up uh, another 
another subject and, and, you know, this whole accusation of, of apartheid. I mean, uh, what happened in, in South Africa was, was horrible. And uh, this, this characterization of apartheid and apartheid state in Israel, uh, talk a little bit about that and, and why it's so, in my mind, uh, ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's, it's farcical and, it, and it's a libel. It's obviously it's a canard designed to make Israel look like it's it's committing human rights atrocities. But the reality is the comparison. There's no analogy. If you go to Israel, if you right. live there, you see regular everyday Muslims and Arabs who thrive in Israel. They are at the, the pinnacle of Israeli society, whether it's sitting on the Supreme Court, whether it's uh, being titans in business and, and sciences and, and medicine. Um they, they're afforded equal rights before the law. And, um, and you look at look at uh, the current government, which has uh, an Arab party within it, the, the Ram political party. And the comparison to South Africa is so flawed because in South Africa, you had you had a white minority ruling over the black, the black majority. And here you have uh, an Israeli Jewish minority that has equal status of, of the, the minority, 20 percent uh, Arab population in Israel. And, um, and it's just, uh, the, the tragedy is I think people, uh, digest the headline without doing their due diligence, without really, you know, going a, a layer deeper. And, and it's just mm-hmm. really meant to, to paint this negative picture of Israel and, and give it a black stain, but there's no substance to it. And anyone who goes to Israel or does the very, very bare minimum of research will see that it's just, it's just a, a libel. Yeah. Uh, lately, you know, COVID-19 has brought about some other uh, situations, anti-Israel misinformation about, you know, Israel hoarding vaccines and refusing to vaccinate those living under the, the Palestinian Authority has been reported in news media outlets around the world, including here in Canada. Uh, can What's the truth about this situation? Can you kind of help clear that up for us? Sure. So, so listen, in every time of great uncertainty, um, people will always seek the scapegoat. And, you know, whether you go back yep. to, to the time of the Black Plague, where Jews were blamed of, in, at that time, hoarding the virus, manufacturing and creating it, or in some, some ways standing to, to benefit from it, we see the modern reincarnation of that, of that libel, which is happening here, um, where, where uh, the state of mm-hmm. Israel, uh, whether it's uh, different Canadian politicians who are making the claim, or whether it's uh, different anti-Israel detractors who are usurping media outlets to make the claim that Israel's, uh, you know, taking all of the the vaccines and not giving them to to their neighbors, or or is or again somehow manufactured the disease. Again, no substance to it. And and you know, on the on the issue of of uh, providing vaccines, for example, to the Palestinians, Israel said at the very get go that it wanted to support the Palestinians by getting them as many vaccines, not just through the, the, uh, the, the equitable sharing structure, but because it, it knows Israel has a porous border. And on top of the humanitarian concerns, it knows that there, there are hundreds of thousands of, of Palestinians who work inside Israel. So it's, it's, it also stands mm-hmm. their best interest to have Palestinians vaccinated. And, um, and they've given hundreds of thousands of vials. So whereas I can't, I can't think of other countries who have, Right. So it's again, it's Israel's also that, that unfair, unreasonable standard. And, um, and a lot of the times it, it's done by people who have really nefarious agendas. They have that toxic agenda to want to malign Israel, to want to malign the Jewish people. Why? Whether they're closeted or, or overt bigots, 
um, that that's that is their raison d'être. Hmm. You know, this conversation, uh, these conversations always sort of get me a little bit riled up and, and even angry. It's uh, it's just so difficult to understand this anti-Israel bias that we face in our world. But of course, we know that anti-Semitism has been a reality for, uh, well, hundreds of years and uh, is kind of resurging, it seems, in, in this um, current season. Uh, we talked a little bit about last May, you know, the uh, the rocket fire from Gaza, the conflict that occurred during that time. And and you mentioned that uh, it was, you know, sort of one of the, the heaviest times of, of anti-Semitic um, pressure, both in media and uh, social media, some of those kind of things. We were actually targeted at that time. Um I would say that that in the space of a week, we probably received multiple thousands of, uh, of anti-Semitic messages on our posts in social media to the point where I took our page down actually for uh, three or four days just to try and get a handle on all of that. Outside of the, the Israeli consulate in Toronto in May, we had people, you know, screaming, Israel will fall, uh, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What what? goes on in people's minds and why is it that that the general population here in Canada seems to not fully understand the severity uh, of these kinds of protests and these kind of statements yeah so so I'll focus on social media which I view as a sewer it is a sewer for everything that uh, that you don't want to see in society where you have vitriolic hate um, that that is posted uh, that goes viral our biggest concern, with the hate that, that is online is that it could transcend into real world violence, that, that people could, could see that kind of messaging and be motivated to actually go into a synagogue, to go into a church and, and, and shoot it up. And we've seen that before. And we know history tells us that that can happen. That's why we, you know, our, our big push is, is on the regulatory side of things with social media platforms to try to really thwart the kind of hate that exists there. There will always be bigots. There were bigots a hundred years ago and whether they had pamphlets that they would hand out to, to their community. This is just a, a different manifestation of it, which tragically and, and very dangerously has a reach in the billions and, and an unfettered reach. We, you know, whereas yesterday's bigots, uh, you know, could, could only publish to, to a small audience. Now, um, you know, anti-Semites can have access to millions and millions of people. So we're pushing for Facebook, for Twitter, for Instagram, uh, that they, they can't just, uh, outsource, uh, these, these, these kind of comments and, and just say, you know, you guys, lay people have to police this. They have to work on it. They have to change their algorithms, which feed on that negative kind of um, hostility that breeds it because they know that that kind of content has more click throughs. It has more of a stickiness factor to keep people on the platform, but it's not healthy. Mm. Um, why, why are Jews in Canada the number one victims of hate crimes? We, we think a lot of it has to do with the kind of feeding frenzy that, that happens online and in these different platforms. And to hear that your Facebook page was targeted is, is not a surprise. We're a target all the time. And it, it takes a lot of time to, to have to purge the hateful comment kind of commentary. Things that we see, um, that, that, that really run a fouler, you know, uh, Israel compared to Nazi Germany claims that Israel, that the Gaza Strip is the Warsaw ghetto. Things that are to the very definition of anti-Semitism that should not have a platform, but do. 
And, um, and the funny thing is you, you report it to the, to the different platforms. And oftentimes things that, that are clear incitement to violence and hatred, they will say are legitimate commentary. So we know we have a, a, you know, a real issue with the platforms. You know, we, we can work to, to flag individual responses, but we know that there are billions of uh, posts and billions of users and somebody who's removed will create a new profile. Uh, it's, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. But we can't just let it mm. let it go on unfettered, uh, and that's a, that's a big part of what our organization does is we flag these instances of, of real hateful commentary and and try to get them removed because we know the consequences; they're very real. That's uh, great insight, and I, I want to uh, maybe I'm going to go down a bit of a rabbit trail here, but but this comparison to Nazi Germany this has been bothering me lately, and and maybe you have an opinion on this, maybe maybe you don't, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, lately, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about um, you know some of the regulations uh, due to COVID nineteen, due to this health pandemic that we are experiencing, and comparing. Uh, you know, government uh, restriction to what happened in Nazi Germany and, and what happened in the Holocaust. Does, does this not minimize what happened to millions of Jews in the Holocaust? Is, is this is this even a, a you know, a, a good analogy? I, I don't even see how it, there, there can even be a basis for an analogy, um, you know, mm-hmm. with, irrespective of your stand on vaccine passports or on vaccines. All of those measures are being undertaken, you know, to save lives. The Holocaust was right. an effort to annihilate the Jewish people, to stigmatize it, to to put Jews through through concentration camps, to to really commit a genocide of uh, of religious people. In what way is uh, is the protocols and, and different efforts that people are undertaking to address COVID in any way analogous? I, I don't see how people how, how it's relevant for people to make that allegate that that analogy, and you know, for people at at anti-vax or, or anti-vax passport um, protests to adorn things like uh, the the yellow star, um, it, it's just it's a real insult to the Jewish people, and it's also it's pure historical revisionism. It, it's really dangerous, and yeah. it, it cheapens uh, what the Holocaust was, which was the systemic murder of a people. Uh, I, I, it pains me to see it here in Toronto, throughout Canada, throughout the world. Yeah, no, I agree, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. It, it just uh, every time I see a post that makes that that comparison, I I respond because I, I just think people, uh, you have no, you obviously have no idea what happened in the Holocaust because there's just nothing even remotely similar. I'm all for personal rights and freedoms. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. You know that I that I even fully agree with vaccination passports. I think that if if the vaccine is effective and does what it's supposed to do, then it's it's those who are unvaccinated that are at the most risk. But um, you know, we 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 all sort of have our opinions on some of those kind of things. But to make that comparison just drives me drives me crazy. It, it, um, it's it's like the kind of virtue signaling that has really taken a hold, where people are they're, yeah. they're making these comments because for whatever reason. They, they want their megaphone, they want their platform, um, but they don't see the consequences. They don't see that, that people are being singled out and, and, and a, a genocide is being cheapened to score political mm-hmm. points. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, really. 
amplified ignorance, I call it. And (laughs) social media has given everybody that megaphone and, and, uh, uh, it's, it's not always, not always a positive thing. Yeah. I mean, listen, Um, I look at social media like a double edged sword. Um, we, we know the negatives. I also see the potential for a lot of positives. Um, as an organization, what we want more than anything is for people not to pass the buck and to stand Israel in the high esteem that it deserves. And, and there's always a great opportunity to do that in social media. The challenge is when, you know, you get into those kind of shouting matches, which are counterproductive and don't help. But for people right. to take, you know, five minutes out of their week to advocate for Israel, that's the, le- the very least that they can do. And it can make inroads. Yeah, that's good. And I want to talk about that in just a second. But but there are a number of anti-Semitic message, messages that seem to have been picked up and, and normalized almost by the mainstream media. Why is this happening? And can you give us some examples of, of some of those? Um, it's so important that they don't become normalized or accepted. And so uh, just talk a little bit about that. So I'll give you an example of something that we reported on just yesterday. Um, and you can go to our website, www.honestreporting.ca to see it. Uh, there was a professor at Sheridan College. His name is Professor Andrew Mitravica, who wrote a piece on Al Jazeera uh, aligning Israel with mafia hitmen, claiming that Israel is child murderers of Palestinians and that they are uh, inhuman and diseased. Now, uh, you know, he, he's saying this of the Israel Defense Forces. And what probably most people may or may not know is that in Israel, it's a conscripted army, meaning that anybody above 18 years old is required to, to serve in Israel's armed forces. Men, women, um, you can have an exemption if, if you're not of the Jewish faith. Uh, but basically what, what this individual wrote was that, you know, Israeli Jews writ large are a diseased people. And and according to the definition of anti-Semitism, when you dehumanize a people, uh, that that is Jew hatred. And we've seen this before. We've seen it. Um, in, uh, in, from Goebbels and the Third Reich. We've seen it in, in Nazi Germany. We've seen it in, uh, in Rwanda that led to the genocide, um, when you, between, you know, uh, the Tutsi and the Hutus. Um, we, we've seen it in, in Serbia. When, when you, when you describe people in, in, as, as really quite frankly vermin, um, there, there is, it gives, uh, an inclination to, to exterminate that. And, and that, that's why we're really concerned, because here you have a, a professor at, at Sheridan College who, who teaches young and impressionable minds, mind you, a journalism pr- professor who, who wrote this kind of uh, really nasty uh, libel. So why, wh- what was this person's motivations? I have no idea. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't really care what's in that person's heart and mind. All I really care about is, is the kind of content that they're producing. But this is really concerning. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to see this, um, you know, in, in the, the broader Arab world where you, you, there is, you know, an unfettered hate that exists in a lot of the, the media that exists there. But, this, you know, here you have a, a professor, an Ontario Canadian professor. I mean, it, it is Al Jazeera, but this is, it's read everywhere. It's online. Um, it, it's incredibly concerning. And, and I think that the administration, at Sheridan College is going to have to answer some serious questions, conduct an investigation and consider, you know, what has to be done. Mike, uh, help me with this, because I'm not sure I know the answer. Uh, Do we have laws against hate speech in Canada? Yes, we do. Uh, But the question is, how enforceable are are hate speech laws? Uh, If you think about 
the number of hate crimes convictions that have happened in, in Canada, I can only think of a handful. Though I am proud to say uh, and, and happy that in the past, about a year or so ago, there was a rag called Your Ward News, uh, which was this anti-Semitic pamphlet that was handed out. Um, that It was also misogynistic. It was the, the, had the most gross caricatures of the Jewish people. And, um, and, and that, you know, the attorney general did prosecute and, these, and the proprietors, the publisher and editor um, were convicted, which is great, but it's a, it was an anomaly. So oftentimes, um, real vitriolic hate and bigots, they get off because um, there, there is an inclination to, to prosecute. I think I think we live in a world where where free speech should be defended with you know an absolutism. Um, I'm a staunch free speech advocate, but we know that there are times when it when it crosses the line where you know uh, you know if if you shout fire and uh, uh, and encourages somebody to to commit an attack, yeah, they, they, these are really challenging times, and uh, I don't think we're we're seeing um, uh, an appetite. From uh, from the judicial sector to address this, yeah, yeah, and it's just I guess so difficult. Uh, you know, the the phrase I think of is like trying to pin Jello to a wall uh, because of you know what what is the definition? <laughs> what is the definition of hate speech? What constitutes hate speech? Uh, all of those kinds of things. And I was very pleased, uh, you know, to see. I think we heard that reporting through. Um, Avi Benlolo at the uh, Simon Wiesenthal Center in, in Toronto that, um, you know, the, the, that rag, uh, that communi- communication was closed down and, uh, that was a, a great win for, uh, you know, for, for Israel and, uh, you know, the justice for the, the Jewish people, you know, here in Canada and around the world. I wouldn't want any of your viewers to think that this is an effort of censorship. Far from it. You know, anybody can write and say whatever they want. No. Just don't cross the line into hate. You can, uh, I have no problem with people criticizing Israel. Do it all as, as, as much as yeah. you want. You cross the line into hate and you, you, you lend credence to the feeding frenzy. Um, it, it'll motivate people to, to commit attacks. And, and, and the same is said for any other faith, faith community who, um, where, where we allow bigots to, uh, to, to have a platform unimpeded. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, we, we chatted with, uh, a gentleman from Israel, uh, back a few months ago, you know, and his, his, uh, stance is this, you know, he said, he said, um, I can have a dialogue with anybody, but if, if, at the beginning of the dialogue, you tell me that your goal is is to kill me. Um, probably, we're not going to have a very good conversation. You know, he he says I I can I can converse with you uh, as long as as long as that's not on the table. And I think that uh, you know this this stated purpose of uh, you know the Palestinians that um, Israel be annihilated. Is, is kind of problematic for, for dialogue most of the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be the starting point, right? <laughs> like, like, where do you go from there? No. You use the, the words, you know, the chant uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, we hear this all the time. Listen, we hear this in the streets of L.A. and New York, where you have leftist protesters who are using that, that, uh, that chant without realizing that fundamentally that's a call for, for the land to be Judenrein, to be Jew-free. Um, by the way, you go to the Gaza Strip. How many Jews are in the Gaza Strip? There are, I think, two now. Why are they there? Because they're being held captive by Hamas. There are no Jews in it, is in, in the Palestinian territories. Let's talk about that apartheid. Um, yeah, 
This, yeah. this is, you know, nobody really wants to have a, the media don't want to have an appetite and, and uh, an interest in those kind of stories. But why? That's a real story. If we want to talk about a, a world of, of liberal values of tolerance and peace and equal rights, why, why can't Jews exist in a future Palestinian state? Why must it be Yudin Ryan? And, and why is there, why is it um, a method of statecraft to consider, you know, the intolerance of Jewish state uh, as part of a terrorist agenda? Why is that socially acceptable? How can that be a modus operandi? Yeah, all very, very good, good points. And, uh, you know, it, it can't be, it can't be, it has to, it has to, uh, if it's going to be, uh, inclusive it has to include everyone and um i think that you have just helped us to understand a lot more about that today now as a as a again a christian you know i i follow the words of the bible the prophet isaiah in the bible says uh, for zion's sake i will not be silent and for jerusalem's sake i will not remain quiet I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, and they will never be silent day or night. I think it's Isaiah 62. Now, do you relate the work that you do with this verse at all? Do you feel that there's any kind of spiritual significance in, in what it is you're doing through honest reporting? Yeah, I, I do. And, and you know, I'll, I'll quote uh, De- Deuteronomy and saying, you know, justice, justice, and you shall seek. That, that is what we're here for. We're, we're here to, to shed mm-hmm. a light on the truth. To provide veracity to the situation, because we know what's reported today can become foreign policy tomorrow. Um, I, I, I consider the role that I'm doing to be holy work, um, and I and I think that every one of our subscribers and, and people out there who advocate for Israel in every possible way, with whatever skill or or means that they have, is doing holy work. That's awesome, Mike. It's been so great to have you on the show today, and and I want to just just ask you to say one last thing, you know, for people that are watching or people that are listening um, who, you know, wonder how, how can I advocate for Israel? What is it that I can do? Uh, just tell them how they can get involved in what you're doing or how they can be helpful or what are some other things that they can do even outside of, uh, of the work that you do? The first thing I'll say is I want everybody here to be well-informed about the issues, because if you really want to advocate for Israel, you have to understand it. You also have to have that passion for it. So get informed, be media literate, read as many sources as possible, and then make a commitment. I don't know what it might be. I don't know what your skills are. I don't know what your, your time constraints are. But let's just say this. If you can take five minutes out of your week to have a conversation with one person about Israel, to, to, to maybe cause a paradigm shift in the way they think about the Jewish state, or maybe it's just posting on, on your social media channels. Just do it. Don't pass the buck. Don't have an expectation that somebody else will do it. We have to roll up our sleeves and get involved. We know the stakes have never, ever been higher. Um, and, and that's, that's yeah. what I'd want people to, to do, to, to be involved as a grassroots person, be honest reporting Canada's eyes and ears. If you spot something that is especially problematic, uh, or, but quite frankly, if you're not sure if something is either innocuous or, or egregious, contact us, call us, email us, um, flag it back to us. We're here to help educate you. We're, help, we're here to help articulate any of your grievances. We're here to help you do whatever you can to advocate for Israel. So consider us as a resource. Wonderful. And your website again? www.honestreporting.ca. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, again, it's been 
just great to have you on the podcast today. I uh, feel like I have learned a lot and, um, you know, a bit of a kindred spirit. Of course, we, we both are, are very passionate about advocating on behalf of Israel and uh, First Century Foundations. Uh, we're a Christian charity and, and we do assist a number of humanitarian and, and other uh, organizations in the land of Israel. And so, uh, it's very important to us that, uh, you know, people understand that Israel is, uh, that it, that it's here to stay and that, uh, you know, they, they have a right to live in the land where they live and to be able to defend themselves. And I think that that's, those are all key things. And, you know, we're, we're pro people. We're not, we're not anti anything, uh, not anti Palestinian, uh, and pro Israel. We're pro Israel. We're pro Palestinian as far as the people go. But but we are are not for you know uh, the evil that gets propagated uh, under under this incredible um, uh, regime. And so, uh, just appreciate today your insight and um, want to say thank you for taking the time to uh, to be with us. Jeff, it's a it's an honor. Uh, it's a huge privilege for me, and, and thank you for the opportunity. Israel. That meaningful name is mentioned more than 2,300 times in the Bible. It is from this land, nation, and people that Christianity emerged some 2,000 years ago. But since that time, Christianity has become mostly disconnected from Israel, and without an understanding of the Jewishness of Jesus and our Hebraic foundations, so much of the depth and meaning of the Bible is lost. First Century Foundations is committed to helping Christians reconnect and stay connected to Israel. We invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can view our TV programs and weekly video podcasts, Keeping It Israel. Follow us on Facebook and our other social media platforms. Let's reconnect to Israel and stay connected. Find out more at firstcenturyfoundations.com.